Welcome to Things We Should Have Learned in Nursing School, where I fill the gap between what you learned in school and what you actually need to know to be successful as a nurse. I'm your host, Rachel Murray, RN, neonatal nurse practitioner, professional development trainer, and SoCal transplant who's a Midwesterner at heart. I'm so glad you're here. Now, grab some coffee, get out of those scrubs, and let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in again. So today, we're going to talk about how to handle an angry patient, or of course, in my situation, an angry parent of my patients. So we're going to talk about why somebody is angry, what anger really means, and then I'll give you some tips on how to deal with it. Now, conflict used to be something that was really intimidating for me. I'm not sure if any of you feel that way as well, but when I was you know, 21 and a new grad, I was really intimidated by conflict. So having this information was really helpful for me and made me feel much more secure in these interactions with parents who were angry than I probably otherwise would have been. Now, the caveat here is that I am not talking about patients who have mental health issues, and I am not talking about patients who are violent or threatening in any way, right? Not that kind of anger. If they're to a point where there's verbal threats, physical threats, anything like that where you feel like you are not safe, that is not the situation, right? In that situation, just call security and get out immediately. So... In the situation that I am talking about where somebody's angry, you might feel uncomfortable because of the conflict, but you should not feel unsafe. So what I'm going to talk about today is something that I've learned over the years, but it really had roots when I was a first year nursing school student um, way back in the day. It's a lesson that I learned from one of my professors based on one thing that she said one random day. And honestly, I don't think she ever expanded on this comment that she made, but I heard it, I took it to heart, I ran with it, and it has really helped me. One day, I'm sitting in class, and I'm, you know, I've got my notes in front of me, I'm mostly paying attention, but also kind of not, and fortunately at this moment, my ears perked up, and I heard her say, anger is never a primary emotion, it is always a secondary emotion. Now, first of all, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly recommend that you go back and do that first because that's where I talk about the foundations of emotions and the foundations of the four emotional reactions that we can have. So if you did listen to it, you'll remember that you can react, resist, avoid, or allow any of your emotions. And so we'll use some of that language in today's episode. Now, once more, what she said that day in nursing school was this. Anger is never a primary emotion. It is always a secondary emotion. So what she meant by that was that no one is ever just angry. There is always another emotion going on, and that emotion is the underlying root emotion, or you could call it the primary emotion. So your patient is feeling something, right? Some primary emotion first, And rather than just stay in that emotion, rather than allow that emotion, because it's so uncomfortable, they push it away and they switch to anger, right? For a lot of people, feeling angry is a much more comfortable place to be than feeling, say, hopeless or regret or um, shame or grief, right? 
So a lot of times in the NICU, people might feel grief, but they don't want to feel it. It's so uncomfortable for them. So they push it away and instead they get angry. They might feel helpless. I've seen that a ton. And that is a really vulnerable space to be in. They don't want to feel helpless. So instead they get angry. They might feel scared, and this is a really big one, right? Fear is huge, and fear is so uncomfortable for so many people, including myself, that instead we push away the fear and we get angry instead. Now, the root emotions or the primary emotion is always still there. They just pile the anger on top of it, and that's the emotion that we see, right? We see the anger. That's how they present, Now, to be clear, I really don't know if my professor was technically right, and I still don't. Like, is anger really never a primary emotion? I don't know. I've looked it up, you know, from time to time over the last couple decades to see if I can get a definitive answer, and I just never can. And honestly, I don't think I ever will. Um, Emotions are sort of vague enough that I'm not sure we're going to find a definitive answer, and a lot of people have their different theories on it. But... I have gone through my career with the assumption that she was right. And having that assumption in my head has never steered me wrong. So what I can say is even if it's technically not correct, behaving in a way as if it is was never a problem for me and actually always really helped me. And it was really huge for me as a new grad because when someone's angry and you haven't really gained your confidence yet as a nurse, you might think that the problem is you, or you're just more likely to get flustered by the anger and not know exactly what to do with it. And the beauty about thinking of anger in this way, meaning anger is a result of some uncomfortable emotion that they don't want to feel, it allows you to find a different cause for the anger meaning the primary emotion, versus the cause being you or something you did or something you didn't do or something that the team did or didn't do. And I find that I don't take things nearly as personally as would be my tendency when I think about anger in this way. Now, I mean, the root issue might be something with you or the team or something like that, but thinking about it in a way where the cause is the primary emotion just creates some space in that conflict. And when we're in our head, right, if we're in our head and kind of taking things personally, it's a lot harder to really stay in that conversation and solve the problem in front of us, right? So the more that we can create some amount of separation in that conflict to make it easier for us to stay in the conversation, the better position we're in to help our patients and their families. So here's what we do. The first step when we encounter a patient or a parent or family member who is angry, is especially, and this is especially important if you're somebody who gets kind of easily flustered by conflict like I used to. Um, but either way, the first step is to get your mind right. Meaning, you know, I used to want to kind of shut down or run away from the conflict. You've got to find a way to keep yourself in that conversation. And I mean like actively in that conversation, not tuning out, not feeling nervous, like not letting your mind wander, like truly in it. So you might want to remind yourself that the issue is not about you. You might want to remind yourself that anger is okay and conflict is normal. 
Conflict is not a problem. And it doesn't mean that something is wrong. Conflict doesn't necessarily mean that you're not doing a good job. Conflict is such a normal part of the human existence. Or you might need to tell yourself that conflict does not go away without a full understanding of the problem. And that doesn't happen without facing the the discomfort and kind of being a bit uncomfortable and staying in it. And maybe that can be what gets your mind right to stay in that conversation. But you hear how we kind of like neutralize the idea that the patient is angry. We normalize it, neutralize it. So we're more likely to stay in that conversation rather than feeling like just bolting. So first step, we've got to get your mind right so that you'll stay in that conversation. The second step now, once you've sort of like settled down and you're in it, the, the next thing that we have to do is we listen. And I mean, we only listen. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, I said I, we only listen except for actually the only other thing we can do aside from listen is ask questions, right? So basically, we can ask questions and then we listen, listen, listen. And we can ask another question, we can listen. That's the only two things. And the whole goal of this stage is to just gather as much information as possible and to be able to answer the following two questions. And as a side note, I find that it's very helpful to have these kind of two questions in the back of your mind while you're listening to keep you focused in that conversation. Because if you're anything like me, your mind can wander so easily, especially when you've got multiple patients, you've got a big to-do list. Knowing what you're listening for can make it a lot easier to stay present. Okay, so we're only listening. We're letting them kind of vent if they need to vent. We're asking open-ended questions when we need to. And these are the two things that we're listening for. Number one, we're listening for any legitimate reason for them to be angry. Now, legitimate is going to be subjective, and that's okay. It's all we've got. But we've got to listen for it because really, I don't know if I would say more often than not, but maybe more often than you might think or might realize or than I would expect, I guess, I find that the person I'm talking to who is angry actually does have a what I would consider to be a very legitimate reason to be angry. And that reason doesn't necessarily come out right away. So for example, I was talking to a dad at the hospital oh, um, maybe six months ago, and he was nice when I had been in the room before, and then suddenly was just kind of refusing everything, mad, irritated, not, I don't know if I would call it yelling, but but definitely and definitely an angry tone, not happy, and just starting to refuse all treatments. And it took a while. It took a long time of listening and asking questions before what finally came out is that the lab technician, the person who drew the blood on his baby, had to do a heel poke. For any of you in the NICU, of course, you know what that is. Um, and he drew it on the foot of the baby that had the had a club foot. The baby had, I think, one foot that was normal and one foot that was um, a club foot. And he drew it on that foot. And when I listened to that, when I heard that, I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, no wonder this dad is angry. No wonder he's mad at us. No wonder he kept saying like that, you know, that lab tech, he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, of course, right? Like who wouldn't be angry? Who wouldn't feel so terrible for their son in that situation? 
And so if there is a legitimate reason, then when it's your turn to start talking, the very first thing to come out of your mouth will be an apology. And we don't get to harness the power of an apology if we haven't truly uncovered a quote-unquote legitimate reason for somebody to be angry. Apologies are so, so, so powerful. And, you know, one of the quotes that I love about apologies, and I don't know who said it, but they said, apologies aren't meant to change the past. They're meant to change the future. What I found, and I'm sure you found this too in your life or whether it's your work, professional, personal life, is that the second we apologize, all defenses just lower a little bit. And we're on just a much more level playing field when we're when we're talking. There's just a lot less tension in the room. And honestly, it's just genuine because who wouldn't want to apologize when you find a reason that you think is legitimate for somebody to be angry about? Okay, so that's the first thing that we're listening for. Is there a legitimate reason for them to be angry? The second thing that we're listening for in when we're in that stage where all we're doing is listening is that we are listening to find what the underlying emotion is. So do we think they're afraid? Do we think they feel um, helpless, like they're, they've lost control? Do we think they're feeling um, hopeless? Whatever it is, like what do we think that underlying emotion is? And then in this situation, when you go to open your mouth and talk, the first thing out of your mouth will be to address the underlying emotion in an indirect way. Now, I'll give you some examples of what this sounds like, and I will definitely talk about this concept of addressing emotion indirectly in some future episodes because I'm a huge proponent of this. Um, but basically, what I'm talking about is not just not calling out the emotion like, oh, well, it sounds like you're feeling really helpless. Oh, well, it sounds like you're feeling a lot of grief. That's very direct. And while I absolutely love direct communication, this is probably not the time and the place. So what I find works is a more indirect way of addressing the emotion. So it might sound something like this. I can imagine how uncomfortable it would feel to dot, dot, dot. I can imagine how scary it might feel when you see dot, dot, dot. I can imagine how how sad it might feel when you get XYZ diagnosis. All right, so that phrase, I can imagine how, or I imagine how, fill in the blank with the emotion, it could feel, and then describe the situation. Sometimes I give a very simple, like, that's really statement. Like, wow, that's really frustrating. Wow, that's really disconcerting. And this is based on whatever it is they've told me. I'm just identifying what I think that underlying emotion is. And then I'm talking and I'm saying it back to them in an indirect way. Um, one other way that I do this sometimes is I'll say, you know, the situation in a lot of patients that I've worked with usually brings about a lot of XYZ emotion. This situation is usually really scary for patients because X, Y, Z, and then I go on to describe why. All right, so I'm addressing that emotion. I'm naming that emotion, but I'm not necessarily calling, calling them out for having it. 
Um, last thing that I say a lot, and this is a really specific to the NICU, is um, because the NICU is such a journey, right? I mean, if you have a baby born at like 23 weeks or so, or really whatever gestation, there's, of course, variations all the time. But you generally know more or less what that stay is going to look like. So a lot of times, for this example, a lot of times families will get really antsy near the end of the stay in a baby who's been there for like three or four months. And, you know, we're kind of just hanging out, waiting for them to get better with their feeds, waiting for their reflux to get better. And they start to get just like so antsy and impatient. But I'm not going to look at them and say, wow, it sounds like you're getting really impatient. No, I would just address it indirectly by saying something like, you know, this is the part in the NICU stay where parents tend to start feeling really antsy and impatient. And I totally understand why. And here's what's happening, blah, 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 right? So long story short, for this step, you will address the underlying emotion indirectly. So you'll say the name of the emotion, but you won't necessarily call them out for having it. And what you'll notice As soon as you start speaking to the underlying emotion in a way that normalizes it, that validates it, and neutralizes it, the anger dissipates. Because now we have made that primary emotion less intimidating or scary for them. So now they can stop pushing it away and there's no need to replace it with anger. And not everybody knows how to do that for themselves. We can help them through that process. And I find that the more we do this, the quicker it becomes, the the faster we kind of identify an emotion and find a way to neutralize it very easily for them. And, you know, just the, the more skilled we become at these conflict or anger situations. So in the end, what'll happen is we don't ever need to address the anger. The anger is not the issue, right? There's no need to look at somebody who's angry and say, calm down, lower your voice. Well, maybe lower your voice, I guess, (laughs) depending on what the situation is, right? But we don't necessarily need to calm down, again, because we're not in the context where there's any sort of threat to our safety, right? We're just letting somebody who's angry be angry and we're listening to them. And so we don't necessarily want them to calm down right away. We want to hear everything that they're saying. So we know if there's something we can apologize for and do that, or if there's what that root emotion is and if that is what really needs to be addressed. Because if we were in that moment to address the anger or react to their anger, we would simply be wasting our time because we wouldn't be reacting to the real problem. And what I find is that we end up building so much trust in our patients or our families when we show them that we are not afraid of their big emotions. We're not afraid for them to be mad at us. We're not afraid for them to have whatever scary emotions they have. We'll help them through it. And now what'll happen is if they're uncomfortable or if they're mad at us or if there's something that, you know, they're not unhappy with, I find that then moving forward, they are so much more likely to talk to us in a way that is really healthy and um, builds a better relationship moving forward, which for us in the NICU is vital because, you know, our patients are there for so long. What else we say beyond neutralizing the anger or excuse me beyond neutralizing the underlying emotion 
um, is kind of out of the scope of this episode, but I do have a process for how to continue that conversation, how to kind of gain buy-in and get our point across, and it's beautiful, um, but we'll save that for a future episode. For the sake of this episode, we're just looking at the main ways to deal with a patient that is angry. So a quick recap, number one, get your mind right so that you'll stay in the conflict. Number two, listen and only listen. And we're listening for two things. Number one, is there a legitimate reason to be angry? Number two, what is that underlying emotion? And then step three, the first thing that comes out of our mouth either is A, an apology, if there is a legitimate reason to be angry, or B, it's addressing the primary emotion indirectly, neutralizing it, validating it, and normalizing it. All right, everyone, remember this mantra, anger is never a primary emotion, it is a secondary emotion. Whether it's true or not, you cannot go wrong by believing that it is. All right, everyone, have a great week. I will talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Things We Should Have Learned in Nursing School. If you found this episode helpful, please return the love by rating the show. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. As always, I'd love to hear your comments, questions, or topic requests. You can email me at rachel at elevatenurses.com. That's R-A-C-H-A-E-L at elevatenurses.com. I'll talk to you all next week.